Hello, and welcome to the initial episode of Search Software Quality's podcast. I'm Ryan Black. I'm an assistant editor for the site, and joining me today is uh, Matt Hoyser. Matt, can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Let's see. I'm the managing director of Exelon Development, which is a small consulting company in uh, the Midwest United States. I was a programmer, a project manager, QA lead for the first 18 years of my, 15 years of my career or so. And then I've been a uh, consulting software tester consultant for the, for the past seven. Great. And yet I, I primarily know you as a contributor to our site, and I very often will see you writing about uh, testing topics. And recently, I know you wrote a topic about exploratory testing. I think it was about mobile software, which uh, kind of gave me the idea for this podcast in which we want to overview the defining and differentiating details between scripted testing and exploratory testing. And then maybe we'll get to how they kind of intersect and complement each other. Sounds great. So uh, let's start off with uh, kind of just asking a general question. Uh, when you hear exploratory testing, what, is, what does that mean to you, Matt? So when you think of a test in school, like your teacher is going to give you a test, they usually have standard questions, 50 questions, multiple choice, and it's testing your knowledge. When you think about a car inspection, it's a test, it's a 15-point inspection, and they look at the results. When we're testing software, we have an opportunity to do what I think is a little bit better. We have the opportunity to say, well, that's really interesting. That didn't quite do what I expected. And then to change the test while we're performing it, viewing it more of an improvisational performance, more like improv jazz, than viewing it as a sort of set of steps that you must follow, more like a chess game. We're actually adapting to what's actually happening. So it's almost like test is the wrong word for it. It's like the I, I like the improv jazz metaphor you're going for, but it's like you're almost trying to get like a like a fully 360 degree understanding of something, but it's not necessarily checking something like 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 you mentioned like a test in school where like you're just trying to check and see if someone knows the material. We have an opportunity to do one better by simultaneously or in parallel maybe test design, test execution, learning, and reporting. So the learning activity actually feeds into the next step. And that's a very different model or paradigm than uh, a lot of people when they have, when they think about testing. A lot of people think about testing. There's a sort of cult of stable, predictable, repeatable, which came out of the 1980s when McDonald's and Walmart sort of took over the world by breaking any piece of work down into its isolated component parts, and then reassembling it perfectly. And software is different every time. The one thing I know about this build is it will be different than the last build by definition. Otherwise, we would, we would like, why test it, right? But so why would we perform the same kind of testing on it as we did last time when the change that's introduced is different every single time? It's not an assembly line. So exploratory testing was an attempt, that term was an attempt, popularized by a guy named James Bach. I think it was defined by Kem Kaner. It was an attempt to explain this, what doing it one better way of, of thinking about software testing. I, I think that that made me think of uh, the word I was trying to reach for earlier, because I, I read that someone was uh, describing exploratory testing as less a practice and, and more of a mindset. Yeah, would you kind of agree with that framing? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, in testing, we talk about, I mean, there's ways of coming up with test ideas, like equivalence classes and boundaries and all these sorts of things. And um, exploration is your 
style, your way of thinking as you're performing the testing more than it's more an approach than a technique. Is there any particular type of application or software that explore testing is like most well suited for, or is it kind of just like this would have utility if I apply this to like any sort of application or software development team? Well, there, there's a few and far between software that I've spent most of my career working on commercial software in a free market, right? Where there are competitors and where the customer's adoption of the software will matter whether or not it's good in the marketplace. Some, I've done some internal software, you know, where you, in that case, the, 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 the economics are different because the CIO might pay for it and force the customer service reps to use it. And um, that's just a different, but in those environments, even in both of those, for the most part, it's pretty standard. If you can reduce your specification to symbolic logic, and then you can create test data that you can run, and there's no real customer interface, there's no real human who can just bounce around an event-driven system and do whatever they feel like. So if you're talking about like an embedded system to drive the transmission of an automobile, or a router, right? Then there are other approaches that might be really interesting. So, so there's something called model-driven testing, but you really can't use like the, those pesky humans and that pesky, vague, ambiguous specification. As soon as you introduce those, then I want to pull for my exploratory testing stick. I see. Now, to kind of come at that from the opposite end, is there what would be the big obstacles, reasons a team wouldn't want to go with exploratory and may, maybe would want to go with model-based testing instead? So the, the main reason um, I find, so and there's a couple of different perspectives about testing. One perspective is that testing is easy and any, any fool can do it, and we should just write all the steps down and pass it off to anyone and we can get you know, some dumb monkeys to do it. And if they fail, we just get slightly smarter monkeys. Um, so that's testing is a no-skill activity. My, my goal is to drive the skill out of testing. And the other one is that testing is this sort of uh, uh, magical thing that some people have and others don't, and we need to get the gurus to do it. And in neither of those, neither of those worlds do we say testing is a skill that can be learned and it needs to be adjusted based on the risks for this build versus the last build versus what we've had in the past. So there's a lot of that Walmart, McDonald's thinking about software development. A lot of people have computer science degrees and what programmers do is they automate things. They take a simple, straightforward business process and they automate it. That is to some extent the definition of programming, right? So they see testing and they're like, oh, simple, straightforward, repeatable business process. We should just automate all of it. And a team like that is going to, and, and you can have significant success with some, with, with lots of different tooling and automation approaches to reduce the time it takes to do testing or to sort of make the testing more powerful. There's a lot, there's a lot there, but in, in all these cases, it's testing is weird. Testing is hard. Testing. I don't want testing to be a skill. Let's just make it so we can press a button and testing will be done. And I don't have to think about it or let's just write it all down and then we can give it to anybody to run and, and I don't have to worry about sort of this union of test, skilled testers walking out and I'm left holding a bag. It's, it's scary and I'm afraid of it. So all of these other approaches are, are sort of ways to deal with the symptoms of the reality that testing is scary and I'm afraid of it. So teams that find testing scary and are vaguely afraid of it are going to try these other activities. The brave thing to do is to say, let's study it and get really good at it. Let's study risk. 
let's study where software bugs come from. Let's study how they're injected into the software. And let's get really good at finding them. And let's get really good at assessing risk with limited information and time pressure. And that's kind of, that's, I think that's the ball game of good testing. It, it sounds like the people who don't quite see that, though, almost look at it as like, a, oh, I'm simplifying the equation of what I, like, essentially my the testing I need to do by removing the human element. Like, so it's like, from their perspective, they're simplifying things, but... Absolutely. Yeah. And there's a number of other ways. So if testing is one form of risk management, there are a bunch of things you can do to manage risk, right? There was a time in history when Facebook and Twitter could just kind of throw the software at the customers and let the customers find the bugs. <laughs> there's lots of ways to reduce risk. So... What I'd prefer to have is someone that has a studied and considered approach that can say, because of these factors, we have chosen this approach. And even if there, we do tasty DevOps combined with cloud-based uh, mitigation of risk combined with uh, intense monitoring. If they can answer the question and their approach doesn't include exploration, I'm much more comfortable. But it turns out exploration is surprisingly easy to learn and teach in order to be a minimal level of effectiveness. And if the whole team does it all the time as a, as an activity with a small percentage of the time, especially for a new feature development, you can reduce a lot of risk for super cheap. Just to, maybe as a quick aside, what you mentioned, it's relatively easy to learn exploratory testing. What are some of the avenues that just top of your mind, people could familiarize themselves with the practice? So it's, it's, it's relatively straightforward to get the sort of 101 level understanding of how to attack a website and find the obvious bugs, right? So if you Google quick attacks, how do I do them? You will find articles, some of them I've written, on how to, how to overwhelm software with information that isn't expected. Like a DDoS attack or something. That's a, that's, that, yeah, sure. But I, just type in a number that's too big and click submit. Right. Or, or. Oh, so even simpler a, than a DDoS attack. Yep. You type in a word when it's expecting a number. Um, leave something blank that it's supposed to be filled in. Right. There's a whole bunch of these. And there are both sort of classic quick attacks. It's just like, here's how to overwhelm the software. And then there are what we call um, common failure modes. So I know for a web-based app, I would try these things. I know for a native iOS app, I would try those things. I know for a Chromebook app, I might try these other things. And so you study quick attacks, you study failure modes for your platform, and then you study the history of the bugs found for your software, and you can get pretty far. The risk there is people go to a one-hour class or a one-day class and they think they're testing experts. <laughs> and it's, it's more like a fellow, you know, a day to learn, a lifetime to master. To maybe pivot somewhat, I think we were kind of talking around it a few minutes ago, but... Uh... When you, when you were talking about automation, would a, a lot of that stuff pertain to specifically scripted testing? Well, most automation approaches that I see are scripted in nature. So scripted testing is click, 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 inspect, right? That's not actually what the tester's going to do because they're going to find something interesting. They're going to jump off script, and they're going to come back, and there's no guarantee that they're going to come back exactly where they jumped off. And even if they do, the state of the software is going to be different and what it was supposed to be at that point, because they've, they've uh, jumped off script and, and played around a little bit. Because so, you only have a specific understanding of what the app's going to be when you write the initial script. There's no way you could write a script unless you're using the, the advanced AI to like predict what the application will be then, right? Well, 
it depends. Sometimes scripts are written after the fact. Sometimes we're just rerunning the same script that we run every two weeks. But even then, what the human's going to do when they find a problem is they're going to jump off the script. If they never find any problems, then the, the, the value of the script is questionable. So we never actually really follow all the steps anyway. Mm-hmm. So to some extent, even scripted testing has a component of exploration to it. That's why uh, one of my colleagues, James Box, says that all, all testing is exploratory. All good testing is exploratory to some extent. And he's kind of dropped the very term that he introduced once. Um, I still think it's about valuable for education to sort of make the distinction. But with automation, most of it, most of what I see in developed nations for test automation, when people say that, they mean we're going to drive the user interface pretending to be a customer, and we're going to do click, 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 type, submit, click, check value. Right, literally scripted, and only checking for the things that are on a very, very specific line. That's getting better with some tools. There are tools that can grab more and more of the screen, and there are tools where when you get an error, you can look at it, and you can say, that is the expected change for this new requirement, so I'm going to click and grab that error image that's going to become the okay image. The tools are getting better, but but automation, for the most part, is very it's, it's 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 implementing the literal parts of scripted testing and forgetting about sort of that human element. computers are very good at the bottom of every scripted test there's a hidden assertion that no one ever writes down and the assertion is and nothing else weird happened <laughs> and and automation is, is not particularly good at finding that so you usually want some combination of both i i think that'd be a good Point to maybe transition in terms of like uh, how exactly they can complement each other or fill in each other's weaknesses. Sure. Uh, w- one one specific question I had was, uh, would you would you ever think of explore or uh, exploratory testing as a way to maybe find the aspects of an application you would later set up automated checks of or automated scripts to check those aspects? There's a, there's an important distinction here that our audience might not be getting. Uh, which is what this testing versus checking, mm. which is not my term either. That was that came from a guy named Michael Bolton who has a lot of work with James. And the distinction is checking is a part of testing. And what that piece is is that type in this, do this, see this. It's, a, it's algorithmically defined in advance exactly what should happen. And it, and it ignores all the side noise of and something else weird happens, right? Because you're just checking for that one specific thing. Right. It's, it's, and that's not necessarily bad, but it's just so when you, when you make automation and it runs through your user interface and it all passes once, that's great. And then you make a change and run it again. It's no longer really test automation. Mm-hmm. It's change detection. And the job of the programmer is to create change. So you're going to have these failures that you go look at it and you say, yep, it failed to click the submit button because we added the middle name field and the middle name is required. So I ran the old test and went all the way through and it gave me an error message, which is what it should do because middle name is not populated and it's required now. So now I need two tests. I need to see the error, see the error message, fill in the middle name, and then click submit, and then it should work, and now middle name should be on it. So you've got this maintenance burden that comes with automation. But I'm sorry. I jumped into testing versus checking, and I forgot the, the question. 
the the initial question was uh is there can uh exploratory testing be used to effectively find aspects of an application to later set up automated checks of so one thing that commonly happens is that we get the user interface and there's there's different schools of thought on this there's a there's a, a a lady named Angie Jones, who's at Twitter, and she will create the automation before the code is written. And then when the code is written and you have a build, she can click go and she can get through 90 to 95% of her scenarios. But most of the time, for most of the companies that I work with, when we start our journey, the first build is pretty darn buggy. <laughs> and they want feedback really soon. They want feedback today to fix it, right? So if we take two to three days creating automation, it's going to slow down the feedback loop. We're going to then get to created all the automation. Oh, and I got stuck halfway through creating it because this particular function doesn't work at all. So I couldn't actually create all the automation. But along the way of creating the automation, I found these four bugs. Please fix them so I can finish creating the automation. So it can run once and pass, right? Like there's no value in it until it actually all passes because I can't even run it. But what, you, but what we do instead usually is we do quick path exploration and give them, here's eight bugs I found, and then we check to see those bugs are fixed and retest the feature, and now the feature can be automated and the automation can actually pass. So the value there for that tooling at the GUI level is there's a couple of them. One, it tells us that we're done, right? The story isn't done until the automation runs. And another one is that Two weeks from now or two hours from now, if we want to rerun all of the automation to see that the change didn't break anything for regression, the change didn't break anything big and obvious that's on the path of our test, um, there's some value in that. That's a real value there. So one more question. How, how would you strike the balance between exploratory and automated testing? Like, like is it like a 50-50 split or 40-60? So... I belong to something called the context-driven school of software testing. We don't talk about it much anymore. It's, it's uh, kind of like the testing what the Agile Manifesto was. And we, I would say that the value of any practice only exists in a given context. I, it's really hard for me to give you broad guidelines. What I would instead do is come to your shop, talk for an hour, two hours, whatever, do, you know, talk amongst yourselves, and say, do we need more or less of it? More or less of what? Right? So right now, if we're doing 100% exploratory testing, what are the concepts, consequences of that? Uh, it takes us two weeks to do a re release. So we, we, we basically write software for two weeks, and then we test it for two weeks. And that seems like a big waste of time. We're losing half of our productivity with bug fixes. Okay, then. And then while we're fixing it, what are our problems? Well, most of the time, they break login for any build. So that's pretty bad, right? Like we have to wait for a build and then we can't even log in and we have to send them a bug back. I can't log in. We have the silly back and forth. So maybe we start tooling around to run the login test on every build. And if it doesn't pass login, it doesn't get promoted to test. But why are we breaking login on every build? That's really weird. We shouldn't be doing that. So we can also do root cause analysis on it. So if we have to have a lot of automated tests because our software is really buggy, that brings up a second question of why is our software so buggy? And that's a, that's a root, more of a root cause to fix than let's just create a huge amount of Selenium or some other tool-based automation 
to cover all this stuff because it's so buggy. Well, what if we just had less bugs? So those are the kind of conversations I want to have. And the outcome of that is we want to invest more or less time in tooling or more or less time in exploration, more or less time in scripted testing. It's a big pie. Let's experiment for two weeks with a different percentage. We talk about best practices a lot where the term best practices is thrown around a lot. In medicine, if you, if you give a prescription without first diagnosing the patient, because every patient is different, that's not a best practice. That's malpractice, hmm. right? So we have to look at the organization. What are your goals? How often do you want to release? What amount of risk are you willing to tolerate? What does your customers look like? What amount of defects have you injected in the past? What does the technical team look like? Where are their strengths? What is, what are the, do you have a testing role? Where are their strengths? Do you have energy for the team for everybody to do a little bit of exploration? Or do we hate it and no, don't want to touch it? And we just want to have specialists do it. Or do we hate it and don't want to touch it and just want to automate all of it? And then we have to have some really hard conversations. And those are relatively mature conversations to have. I mean, I work in, I've worked with teams that just have never been able or in the past haven't had those conversations. And we just kind of always do what we've always done. And then we yell at each other when the outcome is bad. And I think we can do better. I see. So uh, I think that just about wraps it up, though. I want to thank you uh, again, Matt, for joining me today and uh, talking through this stuff. Thanks, Ryan.